we're, the passage will be 2 Timothy 2, um, verses 8 to 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Thank you so much for reading that so well for us. You might be able to hear that my voice is giving out a little bit. So let me pray, not only that God will speak to us today, but that I will continue speaking <laughs> today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together today, meeting in freedom. We pray that you would speak to us. Strengthen my voice, strengthen us, that we might hear you and remember your Son, and so suffer and endure all things for eternal glory, for the elect. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, a lot has happened uh, since we went overseas three years ago. Um, and a lot has happened this year. Uh, so much has happened this year that after only one month, I saw this meme on the internet. It said, after completing my one-month free trial of 2020, I wish to cancel my subscription. After only one month, people wanted to cancel 2020. But the months have kept coming. The virus, political problems, finances, all the difficulties of life have not stopped. The pressures to cancel, to quit, to give up, they've only kept coming. As you've heard, the last few years have been difficult for my family. And I don't know what pressures you are facing. Have there been moments when you've wanted to give up, to get out, to unsubscribe? When you've wanted to give up on 2020? When you've wanted to give up on the seemingly endless disappointments, the awkwardness of speaking about Jesus in what seems like an increasingly hostile world? Or even give up on Jesus himself, as he doesn't seem to be delivering all that he promised or all that you hoped that he would? This isn't just a problem for you and me here in Australia. This is a big problem for the people who live and die far away from us, many of whom will not get a chance to hear about Jesus. That's the case for the mountain people. Not only do they suffer as a people group facing poverty, oppression, and racism, but the few precious believers face immense pressure from their culture, which is hostile to any dissension, and even from their families. I'll never forget one of the guys who I've been uh, reading the Bible with telling me that his father beat him when he became a Christian. I'll never forget when a new believer, uh, my friend who we'll call Tom, 
he wanted to tell me a story from the Bible. And he told me that story. You know that story when Jesus cast out a legion of demons from the man and into the pigs? So he told me that story, and I was like, wow, what did you learn from that story? He said, I learned that Jesus is the strongest, stronger than even the most evil and powerful forces. Wow. I said, how is that going to change your life? He said, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and pray. And that day and every day after, I will pray and God will keep me from suffering. And my heart fell because I knew that suffering was coming. God does not keep his people from suffering. And only three weeks later, Tom would face immense suffering. As we all suffer and face pressures that make us want to cancel, to quit, to give up on Jesus and his mission, as the people in the mountains face incredible sufferings, you, me, and Tom, we all need to hear the word that Paul delivered to a tearful Timothy. Because the going had gotten tough for Timothy. Some people think Timothy was timid, the weakling, a bit of a wuss. But I think that they forget that Timothy had served as Paul's right-hand man for nearly 15 years. Through thick and thin. And there was plenty of thin, especially when you remember that to prove a theological point, Timothy was circumcised as a grown man. That is hardly weak, am I right? In fact, 1 Timothy tells us that Paul chose to send Timothy into conflict. Yes, Paul chose to send Timothy to Ephesus, where his job would be, and this is not a fun job description, to confront a band of false teachers and their false behaviors. I mean, I hate conflict. But Timothy had left his home to go and preach in the line of fire. No, Timothy was not timid, but he was tearful. And this is what we learn in Paul's second letter to Timothy. If you have your Bibles, please open them to 2 Timothy. It's the final letter that Paul wrote at all and to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, he says, Recalling your tears, I long to see you. Paul longs to see Timothy, not because he recalls their past successes, you know, the glory days, but because he remembers Timothy's tears. And by now, there was much to be tearful about. On the one hand, Paul, Timothy's mentor and father in the faith, he'd been thrown in prison for speaking about Jesus. And many of Timothy's co-workers had given up. They'd given up on Jesus' mission, and some had even given up on Jesus himself. On the other hand, you know, Timothy's been working in Ephesus for years now, trying to stop this band of false teachers, and they are still teaching. As we learn in chapter 2, 17 and 18, these false teachers are teaching that the resurrection has already happened. Yes, it's already happened. Resurrection life now, free from sin, free from shame, free from suffering. I mean, don't you desire your best life now? Resurrection life now? This message sounds so good. How do you stop a message that sounds so good, that promises what you desire, even resurrection life now? 
especially when the only other choice is the shameful, painful situation of Paul, chained and abandoned in prison. No, Timothy is not timid, but he is tearful. And I wonder, what would you say? What would you say to encourage Timothy? What could encourage you and I, the mountain people, and Timothy not to give up, but to endure? Please keep your Bibles open to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 8 to 13, as we are commanded to remember the pattern of Jesus and Paul. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Timothy's been teaching about Jesus Christ for over 10 years now. Why does Paul tell him to remember Jesus? Who can forget Jesus? He's kind of hard to forget, right? Well, sometimes we do forget the most basic things. Keys, friends' birthdays, wedding anniversaries. But this command isn't just about not forgetting, it's about remembering remembering, keeping Jesus front and center when the distractions of life would push him out of our focus. Paul commands Timothy, he commands us to remember two things about Jesus, the path of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus. First, the path of Jesus, from suffering to glory. The path of Jesus and Paul moves from suffering to glory. And I think this explains some of the puzzling details of the passage. For example, throughout 2 Timothy so far, Paul has already said Christ Jesus seven times. So why switch it up here to his first and only use of Jesus Christ? Christ Jesus seven times, then Jesus Christ. And then the second puzzling detail, Paul says that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, descended from David. Why did Paul write that Jesus was raised from the dead and then go back and tell us about his birth in the line of David? I'd expect birth before resurrection, like in Paul's letter to the Romans. But here he puts resurrection before birth. Why? I think Paul is using these details to slow us down and focus us in on the shocking origins of Jesus. Because first, Jesus suffered. Before he was Christ Jesus, King Jesus, because remember Christ is not a surname, but a royal title. Before he was Christ Jesus, he was Jesus Christ. Paul focuses our attention not on the fact that Jesus was raised to life, but that Jesus was raised from the dead, from the lifeless, powerless, hopeless, dead. Jesus was one of them. Paul focuses our attention not on the fact that Jesus was raised to David's throne, but that he was descended from David. When I asked one of my mountain friends what he knew about David, he'd been reading the Psalms for the first time, and he said, David suffered a lot. Maybe we read Descended from David and we remember the ancient promises that God made to King David that one of his descendants would rule on his throne forever. But first, remember that David's life was marked by suffering, sin, 
and even finally death. And even when we do come to the promises that God made, well, what happened to David's descendants after David died? For hundreds of years, David's descendants did not rule. They lost the kingdom. For hundreds of years, no descendant of David was king. The descendants of David seemed weak and hopeless. Paul wants us to remember this Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, from the seed of David. His origins were shocking. His path began in suffering. And just as Jesus suffered, so did Paul. In this letter alone, as Eleanor said, and I mean, I could just sit down because Eleanor was so brilliant, but Paul tells us that he has been persecuted in three different cities, abandoned by his friends, put in prison, put on trial. He hasn't got a cloak to keep him warm when the winter comes, and he's facing the prospect of death. And this letter doesn't even mention that he was shipwrecked, stoned, sick, sleepless, poor, attacked by people, and the poisonous serpent on his way. But here, Paul does not focus on the variety of his sufferings. He focuses on their intensity. Paul is suffering, do you see it there, to the point of being bound with chains like a criminal. And the word for criminal here is a word found only in one other part in the Bible. When we see Jesus crucified between two criminals, condemned to death. In verse 8, Jesus was numbered with the dead. Here, Paul is only one step behind on that path, numbered with the criminals, condemned to die. The question is why? Why would Paul suffer so much and so intensely? Look at verse 8. The reason he gives is there. That weird phrase, my gospel. You see, the message about Jesus belonged to Paul in a way that it does not belong to you and to me. Paul was particularly entrusted with the gospel because he saw Jesus raised from the dead. And if you are skeptical about whether Christianity is true or not, how do you explain the sufferings of Paul if he did not see Jesus raised from the dead? Who would suffer this many sufferings over such a long time and die for something that he knew to be false? No, Paul saw Jesus raised from the dead, and that is why Paul preached and he practiced a message of suffering. This is why Paul, chained as a criminal, could shout, but the word of God is not bound. Paul may not have made it to Gospel Zero Spain, as he tells us in Romans that he wanted to. But if death is no boundary for God's word, then these chains are not going to stop it. Paul entered so intensely into Jesus' sufferings because he knew Jesus' path of suffering didn't end there. Look at verse 10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Do you see where the path of Jesus and Paul ends? Jesus Christ becomes Christ Jesus. From the dead, from the seed of David, becomes eternal glory. Eternal glory. What does that even mean? 
Eternity means life that never ends, that never says goodbye, that never dies. Glory means no shame, no fear, no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, no denial, no faithlessness, never, ever, ever, only joy and love and peace and knowledge and honor forever and ever and ever, together with all who love Jesus, together with Jesus himself, with God his Father, and with the Holy Spirit. Eternal glory belongs to our God, but our God will share his glory with us forever. And did you see the shocking promise of what glory looks like in the promise of verses 11 and 12? The saying is trustworthy, for if we've died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Not only will we live, truly live forever, we will reign. Heaven isn't wasting time playing harps. Heaven is ruling a new creation, sharing the rule that should only belong to our God. Little old me, little old you, sharing the rule that should only belong to King Jesus, sharing the glory of God forever. Brothers and sisters, all who are sad and suffering, don't be tempted to give up. Eternal glory is worth suffering for, especially when we consider the only alternative. If you're not a Christian yet, or if you are a Christian who is tempted to give up, please hear the warning of verses 12 and 13, because there are only two ways to suffer, with Jesus, or without Jesus. The only alternative from the path from suffering to glory is disowning. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. My friends, Jesus will either welcome us into eternal glory or Jesus will disown us, and we will suffer without Jesus now and forever. My friends, do not take this path. Do not turn back from suffering with Jesus on the path from suffering to glory. Do not lose eternal glory. Do not be disowned by Jesus. Resurrection life now, your best life now, trying to minimize pain and maximize pleasure, no matter how good that sounds. It ends only in suffering without Jesus now and forever. No, come and suffer with Jesus. Come endure on the path from suffering to glory. Keep enduring on the path from suffering to glory. And not just so that you can get eternal glory. Not just so that I can get eternal glory. No, the purpose of endurance is for others. And this is my final point, Paul's final point. The purpose is enduring for the elect. Look at verse 10 again. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I endure everything for the sake of others. 
This is classic Christianity. We don't endure just so that we will get eternal glory. We endure like Jesus did so that others will get eternal glory. Now, Paul doesn't say others. He says elect. Why do you think he says elect? I think it's because Paul sees his sufferings from God's perspective. I mean, if he looked from his own perspective, chained in prison, all the things that he's enduring would seem lonely and futile, good for nothing, good for nobody. But when he looks from God's perspective, when he remembers the unchained word of God, he sees the success of his sufferings because God has chosen and he does not waste his servants' sufferings. Just as Jesus suffered successfully, so Paul will endure everything, knowing that his sufferings will prove successful. They will play their part in the elect from all nations obtaining salvation in Christ Jesus. Imagine if we all shared Paul's perspective. Imagine if we lived knowing our sufferings were not wasted. In times of pandemics, bushfires, floods, droughts, wars, endless disappointments. Imagine if we memorized and made it into our everyday motto, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you're probably wondering how. How? How did Paul's sufferings affect others? How could my sufferings make any difference in someone else's life, let alone for their salvation? And the first thing to say is that Paul's sufferings and our sufferings are not the source of anyone's salvation. Salvation is not in Paul, not in Kurt, not in Seth. No, salvation is in Christ Jesus. Our sufferings serve the gospel, but they are not the gospel. The second thing to say to this question of how, and this may disappoint you, is that Paul doesn't say, he doesn't explain here how his sufferings serve salvation. He just says that they do. If we had the time, I'd love to show you in the Bible at least four ways that our sufferings serve the salvation of others. You can ask Kurt after. I'm sure he's got all the answers. But here, Paul isn't worried about explaining how his sufferings can be used. His point is that they will be used for the sake of the elect, for their eternal glory. Brothers and sisters, the wonderful truth is that if you suffer with Jesus, then your sufferings will be used for others. If you suffer with Jesus and Paul on the path from suffering to glory, your sufferings will not be meaningless or lonely or good for nothing. No, you, if you suffer with Christ, then your sufferings, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant or lonely, as long as they fit into that, you know, everything, your sufferings will be used for the eternally glorious salvation of others. Brothers and sisters, are you willing to suffer 
if it means salvation for others? Are you willing to endure anything and everything if it means eternal glory for the elect? After my friend Tom told me the story of Jesus casting the demons into the pigs, after he told me that Jesus would keep him from suffering, we spent the next two hours studying what the Bible says about suffering. And I was worried. I mean, when Tom saw the lie of resurrection life now, when he saw the true path of Jesus and Paul from suffering to glory, would Tom turn away? Would he give up on Jesus? When Tom began to speak, tears filled my eyes and I scribbled down what he wrote. And I just want to read to you what Tom said. No one tells me these kinds of things. Even in suffering, I can still have joy. Now I can know why I'm suffering. Then when I am suffering, I can still believe in Jesus. I will tell his story and I will not be afraid. Only a few weeks later, Tom would begin suffering. And Tom is still suffering. But he is still enduring, following Jesus on the path from suffering to glory. Brothers and sisters, will you memorize verse 10 and not only take it on your lips, but live it with your lives? I've lived by verse 10 while discouraged about all the setbacks, the uncertainties, and the disappointments. I endure. I've lived by verse 10 through many sleepless nights and sicknesses. I endure everything. Will you live by verse 10 in the face of family struggles, coronavirus uncertainties, and fearful futures? I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Will you live by verse 10 when you face the awkwardness or maybe even danger of speaking up about Jesus? I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain salvation. Will you live by verse 10 when you're tempted to believe the lies of resurrection life now, when you're tempted to give up on Jesus? I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Will you live by verse 10 as you walk the path from suffering to glory, knowing that you walk the same path of Jesus and Paul for the same glorious purpose of Jesus and Paul? I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. May it be so.